This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. You know, they have over 150 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. This week's episode of Trek Geeks is also brought to you by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. You can bring the Enterprise D home from Star Trek The Next Generation for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. the sports bar just outside the grounds of pod fleet command it's the flagship show of the trek geeks podcast network greetings one and all and welcome to trek geeks the star trek podcast for your fandom this is episode number 167 and i'm your co-host bill smith you know today we have a truly epic crossover wrapping up today which we're going to tell you about in a moment we're very excited about this and of course by we i do mean my co-host and i he may not be the goat but he sure is a well, you can figure out where I'm going with that one. He's the champion like Dan Davidson. And, buddy, it's only six months until football season starts up again, my friend. I like that I like that word, six, uh, since we're now celebrating our sixth Super Bowl championship. But uh, I don't want to get into that during the podcast. Thanks, Bill. It is great to be here. Very excited today, of course, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, the least of which is sitting here with you to talk about some great Star <laughs> Trek, which we're going to do today. It's awesome stuff. We truly are. So um, to level set, everybody, yesterday in the uh, Trek FM Standard Orbit feed, the first part of this conversation dropped, and it's a discussion on godlike beings in the original series. And it's a fantastic discussion. We hope everybody listens to it. And Dan, what do we have today as part of this crossover? Well, today, uh, as part of this crossover, as you just mentioned, we're going to continue this, the conversation, but in a, a different scope. We're going to focus specifically on religion in Deep Space Nine, very, very um, integral part of that series. So we thought we would take an entire episode and, and discuss it. And as we were uh, um, honored guests over on Standard Orbit, we're pulling those people into our show here to discuss it today. We're going to have the wonderful Ken Tripp, the magnanimous Zach Moore, and the wonderful Haley Stoddart joining us here today to talk about religion in Deep Space Nine. And I have a feeling that the conversation is going to be just as amazing as Godlike Beings and TOS was over on Standard Orbit. Without a doubt. Um, and, you know, hats off to Haley for pulling this all together. She really was the architect of this crossover, and uh, it was such a fantastic idea. 
We were excited to do it. It took us a little bit to get it scheduled. We'd hoped to do this during the Deep Space Nine 25 celebration last year. But, you know, things happen and schedules change. And uh, we're just excited to be able to do it now. So uh, uh, that's uh, coming up in short order. First, Dan, how might people give us their feedback about part one, part two, or maybe both parts of this crossover? I like the ideas that you have there, buddy. It is so easy to get in touch with us. Just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact. And there you're going to find a, a variety of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out that contact form and type us out a personalized message. Or you can click on that big, giant, bright blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous tones using SpeakPipe. And hey, don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring all your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,300 other friends to talk all things Trek. And don't forget, every Friday, starting soon again, we hope, (laughs) it'll be the Friday Commute Celebration where Bill and I do our weekly lip sync, especially for our campers. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to uh, give our amazing thanks to the wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, and Dan. They do a great job. We could not do it without them. And uh, thanks for running the camp, guys. Uh, also, people, please, very, very important. Remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. And the Patriots have run Super Bowl 53. Back to you, Bill. Thank you, Dan. (laughs) Wow. See, now we can actually use sports announcer guy voice and actually get away with it. That's fantastic. So as a listener note, before we progress on to to the discussion today, we had hoped to actually be able to drop the first part of this crossover in the Trek Geeks feed so that our listeners would get it automatically and not have to to do anything. But we weren't able to. So that was a little bit out of our control. So please check the show notes for this episode wherever you listen to the podcast, and you'll see a link to Standard Orbit episode number 255, which has the first part of this discussion. We really hope you'll give it a listen because we really think it's a, a fantastic show. Bill, as we do every week, we want to take a moment to thank our friends at Fansets for everything they do. You know, they, the product they put out is second to none, and we are just so honored to have them as a sponsor of Trek Geeks. And we also want to send them a huge congratulations for the recent announcement that they have renewed their license with CBS Studios, and they're going to be bringing us amazing Star Trek pins for at least the next three years. That is awesome. Oh, that truly is. And we are so thrilled for them. As a result... We are so thrilled for anyone who purchases pins from Fansets because every Fansets purchase, I mean, you're just getting the highest quality, the best detail, and just outstanding, excellent customer service all around. And it's not just Star Trek pins like the newly released Disco Enterprise. Uh, No, no, you can get... Disco. Disco. You can get... Disco. (laughs) See, every time you do that, I feel like I have to respond with Disco. Go ahead, do it. Disco. Disco. <laughs> we, you know, of course, people can also get their hands on pins like the brand new Jupiter 2 ship from the classic Lost in Space series, which is the second pin in the Irwin Allen line that they have. And really, just head on over to fansets.com and check everything out. 
They're all amazing pins. And as a special bonus for Trek Geek listeners, if you want to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com, I'm talking the entire order, even if it's non-Star Trek stuff, simply enter the word MOTHER at checkout. That's M-O-T-H-E-R. For those of you who watch Discovering Trek and listen to uh, – uh, let's try that again. For those of you who watch Star Trek Discovery and listen to Discovering Trek, you'll know what that's all about. Uh, so just enter that uh, at checkout and you'll get 15% off. The code will be available until midnight on Sunday, February 10th, 2019. So do not delay. Fansets. We are Star Trek. And we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Dan, we gather this week with some friends of ours to continue a theme that we started on the most recent episode of Standard Orbit over on Trek FM. And uh, here on Trek Geeks, we're going to talk about religion and Deep Space Nine in particular. This is a conversation we've had to uh, shelve and move a couple of times. We had originally hoped to do it as part of our Deep Space Nine 25th celebration, but uh, we are overjoyed to be doing it now, my friend. And uh, why don't you take care of introducing our other friends. Absolutely. For uh, for those of you that have already started downloading the feed or are about to, uh, we had the honor of being guests on Standard Orbit, as Bill mentioned just a few minutes ago, to talk about godlike beings in TOS. And we have now brought them over here to talk about religion and Deep Space Nine, as Deep Space Nine is both Bill and I's favorite of the Star Trek series. Standard Orbit, they are a great show. Everybody involved, almost everybody involved, sorry, Zach, is really, really great on that show. And as I just said, Zach Moore... Haley Stoddart and Ken Tripp from Standard Orbit are here with us now. We're going to get into some great conversation. And guys, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us here on Trek Geeks. Hey, thanks for having us. It's great to finally be here in the Celestial Temple. I used uh, the Orb of Time to get here. That's because you're way out there. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, it's, it's great to be aboard. And, and for me, I can't tell you how exciting it is because... Um, you know, it's it's very tough on the network we're on to kind of jump over walls and talk about other series, and uh, and, and you get, affording us this opportunity just means the world to me. So thanks so much. Well, it's great to have you guys all here. You know, you've all been friends of ours and friends of the show for some time, and this is one of those things that's long overdue. And we're just as excited as you guys are to to have you all here. Um, in, when last we met, which seems like so long ago, hmm. um, we talked about godlike beings in the original series, and. You know, if we extrapolate that out and carry it forward, it, it begs a discussion on religion in Deep Space Nine, since it is uh, it's such a central focus of the series, but not really the main aspect of the series. Um, it, it, when I consider the fact that, you know, recently in Star Trek Discovery, there's an entire science versus faith thread that runs through, it, it occurs to me that this discussion is rather timely. Um, I suppose we have to start by talking about Deep Space Nine's initial premise. I mean... Really, it's more than a show about a space station, but it's really the first Star Trek that involved a deeply spiritual people at its core in the Bajorans. Um, and that was kind of a, a surprise for a lot of us because TOS, you know, was you know, created by a guy who was a secular humanist and, you know, his godlike beings were either children or computers, as we talked about on, on TOS. Uh, but how did you all feel about this initial premise of Deep Space Nine? And, and Haley, maybe we'll start with you as uh, the creator of Trek Geeks Trek Tuesday. Yeah, um, I found it really interesting that a show that's mostly a science fiction show, I mean, this is the third iteration that we've had, if you don't count the animated series, that it would take this religious aspect pretty seriously. Um, 
and like you said, it's it's not the premise of the show per se, but it's that it's that underlying thing that just strings throughout. And and I found that really interesting and intriguing at the time. I mean, this is this is the nineties. I think there was um people were rediscovering their faith and so I think this kind of portrayed that um at the time. Uh, yeah, I, I can totally understand that. Zach, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think it's short-sighted to think all religion will be sponged from the record in you know, 200 years from now. So I think having a, a series that explores not only just humanity, but you know, we're out there encountering other cultures who are built around religion, and they have their own viewpoints of you know what God may be or what aliens might be their gods, et cetera, et cetera. And that adds a lot of richness to the Star Trek tapestry uh, and a lot of storytelling potential, which we'll get into here. So I think it was a great move to incorporate this into the next Star Trek show. Now, if Gene Roddenberry had still been around in charge of all this, I, I seriously doubt we would have seen this flavor of Star Trek. But there we were in 1993, and we got it. Yeah, I, I can't really disagree with that at all. Ken, you're of a, kind of the same age bracket that Dan and I are. We're all original series guys. When Deep Space Nine came on board, what, did it kind of throw you for a loop? It did. I, I have to admit, when um, when the first show aired and, and watching through it, I was like, this is going... I was nervous. I, I was really nervous for the show. And, you know, they, they wound up pulling it off. And as I've told a lot of people, you know, it, it's my favorite uh, series on Star Trek just because of where it went. But I think it, it does something very important and something that I learned. I went to Easton Nazarene College for a while and I met a lot of scientists there and a lot of professors. And there were also people of great faith, you know, so I was able to see where people were able to combine faith and science and make it work. And that is exactly how I was watching DS9. Can they combine the two and make it work? And after seven great seasons, I thought they did a tremendous job of doing that. That's really fascinating. So, I mean, it must give you a different perspective on Star Trek Discovery this season without going through any spoilers. It, it does. You know, I, I hear the term science versus religion. Um, there is nothing that says they can't be part of the same journey. And I, I you know, you see it on, um, you, you see it on um, uh, the Orville, you know, and, and, and where that's going to. I, I, there's, there's a lot of these kind of um, setups where it's got to be one side or the other. And I would just say, go back to Deep Space Nine and see how they did it, how they were able to combine it. Both sides had their thoughts definitely uh, strengthened or, or discussed within the series, um, but it was very respectful. And I think they, they really set the bar on how to do it. Without a doubt. Now, Dan, nobody really cares about your opinion because we have actually three smart people here, but uh, we should probably round out the dais with hearing your thoughts. Well, this is probably going to surprise some people. I hated it. Really? At first, I was like, oh, come on. I don't, I don't want to sit here and watch this kind of slow drama about the religion of these people on this show. And so at the beginning, I really could not stand that aspect. It was kind of like watching a movie where there's three different things going on and they or a TV show, and they would cut to a scene with something like you trying to figure your way out of a paper box. It's just boring, and nobody really wants to watch it. That's where I was with the religion aspect of Deep Space Nine in the beginning, until they started to really build on the storyline of the Bajorans and the and the and the prophets and the celestial temple. It it grew on me like a lot of things did in Deep Space Nine until it became a central part of the show for me. And by the time we got to the late seasons, 
I looked forward to what was going to be happening with regards to that religion with the Bajorans in Deep Space Nine. But yeah, at first, I didn't like it at all. And I wanted to say something that I that I do like about what they did in Deep Space Nine, which kind of ties to Discovery, but it won't. It'll be a little mini spoiler, but nothing super. Zach mentioned a minute ago that you know in in two hundred years they're going to expunge all religion from the record. I love what they did in in Discovery recently, where they combined all the religions, um, and it is part of the record. I thought that was really an interesting thing, and it kind of can tie back to Deep Space Nine with how the Bajorans and their beliefs really tied into the show and became a core element of it, or always was a core element of it, I should say. It's an interesting contrast to how Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country approach, did its very brief mention of religion, making reference to it as a myth from you know from ancient Earth uh, regarding mm. the painting of the expulsion from paradise. Um, so that, that direct contrast and almost contradiction from Discovery, I think, is, is pretty fascinating. Um, and I also want to know what kind of world you live in, Dan, where there are paper boxes, um, that's really fascinating to me. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that you caught that. I did that on purpose. I, act- uh, it, it, I did do it on purpose. I just wanted to see what your reaction on camera would be. And you did kind of actually raise an eyebrow there like Spock. So I give you credit. I actually didn't hear a word you said after that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really kind of... Well, that's normal. Huh? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> that's that's normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so at the core of the of Bajor and the Bajorans, we have this religion. And it's it's introduced pretty much in your face. Um, whether there's the temple on the space station or, you know, when uh, Cisco goes to meet Opaka on the planet and there's that really cool stairwell underneath the cistern. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, these the Bajorans have centered their religion around the prophets uh, and the celestial temple or the wormhole, um, which we'll get to in just a bit. The Bajorans saw these beings as gods and, and they would pray to them for guidance. And I, I guess from my perspective and and maybe one of you will have a deeper thought on this because I'm honestly not that bright. Um, I really can't think of another way that ancient Bajorans would would react to these beings. But since future Bajorans have technology, I guess I'm still kind of amazed that they actually still believe that the wormhole aliens are gods. Does, does anybody else kind of have that, that, that dissonance inside their head? Let me Let me jump in on that first, Bill. And when I think of that, I think of what we talked about on Standard Orbit, and that's Apollo. Yeah. And how 5,000 years ago, the ancient Greeks saw these beings show up on Earth and thought of them that they could only be gods because of the powers that they held. Same thing here with ancient Bajoran, and and it even is further back than 5,000 years, if I get my numbers correctly with storyline. But I think when you have that deep a... um, a religion and a belief system, it's going to carry on. We've seen it happen in present day with different religions and 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 beliefs and so forth. And I think that that's why, even in, with the technology that Bajorans have uh, in Deep Space Nine, that it's still such a central um, theme to their religion. They have no reason to discount it um, for them. But then you see people like Keiko who will who will get right in the Kai's mm-hmm. face and say, scientifically, this is why you're wrong. Sometimes beliefs are stronger than science, and we've seen it uh, in Star Trek and in real life. Wow, that's the deepest you've ever been on this show. It's only taken four years. I am, I am without speech, quite frankly. You're welcome. Uh, I, wow, wow. Are, are, are we pretty much all in agreement on on with with Dan's comments, Zach? What about you? Yeah, I, I would say also 
remember that the Bajorans have come out of a what, 60 year occupation at this point. Sure. So True. when they're going through, you know, trials and tribulations, you, you turn, you know, a lot of people turn to faith and that becomes the one thing they can hold on to throughout all this strife they're experiencing. So I think that kind of, you know, forge the, the Bajorans to be even more deeply spiritual, even in this age of technology to kind of, to give them hope at the end, you know, that, that they would, they would see a better tomorrow from what they were experiencing. Or would that be trials and tribulations? There it is. I was waiting. I knew someone would. Do, I knew someone would say that. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, Sorry. Haley, rescue us. <laughs> oh, um, I can see what Dan is saying, and it, it does make sense from that perspective of, you know, you have something so deeply rooted in <clears throat> in a culture, and it just permeates. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, their <clears throat> religion permeates every aspect of their life. And, and it has for years. And, and it's hard to confront that and, and change your point of view when it's, it's something that's just been passed down generation, 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 generation. Um, and it, it takes more than just a little bit of, you know, some people saying, oh, I, I'm going to challenge this and I'm going to look at this from a different perspective. I think Major Kira, she knows what they are, but it's interesting that she still keeps her faith. And so I think that's the dichotomy here is that, you know, most Bajorans, they they might know that, yes, there's the wormhole and they're the wormhole aliens and that they're not the prophets, but they are not going through the wormhole. They're not experiencing that. They're not up on the station. So I think we have to take a look at the Bajorans that are on the station versus the Bajorans that are still living on the planet, that are everyday Bajorans. They're, they're not seeing all these different people coming through. Um, they're not exposed to different ideas, different religions, different belief systems. And, and so I can see that they still would hold very strongly to that notion that they are the prophets, not these wormhole aliens, not these other non-corporeal beings, rather than they are our gods. So I can see why they would. Um, it's interesting that those who are on the station still really hold to that. But again, you're going up against thousands of years of ingrained culture, and it, it permeates every aspect of who they are. I've always been fascinated by the Bajorans uh, as a monoculture. I mean, most cultures in Star Trek are monocultures, you know, mm -hmm. because it's it's convenient to write that way. Um, you know, unless you're doing a show like Discovery where you can have multiple cultures among the Klingons, but I digress. Um, but I've always thought that it would be interesting to see um, a, a significant portion of Bajor with non-believers to some extent, you know, to sort of mirror the society that, or societies that we see here on earth. Ken, was that something that, that ever kind of surprised you or that you ever gave some thought to? I mean, w do you think it would have added some, some relevance and some credibility to, to Deep Space Nine if there had been a, a major sect of non-believers among the Bajorans? No, and I'll tell you why. The, um, the one element that I think gets overlooked, and I'm not really sure why, is these people believe so adamantly because the nine orbs do exist and they do perform miracles. It is very tangible. It is very real. Okay. Yeah. So you have something in their society where it isn't just faith. There is actual miracles that people have witnessed. People are trying to get these orbs back together because they can do incredible things. Now, from our vantage point, we could say these orbs are another piece of technology that have been able to do X. But if you take a whole society and you take a faith 
and yet you combine it with something that you you don't need faith in, in order to be to in order for them to demonstrate um, that miracles can occur. You don't because these orbs exist and they do happen to uh, you know impact time. They impact all kinds of things that even to us don't make a lot of sense. So I think that that's one element where I could see a whole society being drawn together because it's really, really hard to refute. You can, you can review the historical things. There's no video, there's no audio, there's no nothing. There's, there's, there's words on a page, um, incredibly powerful words that, that, that draw people in and drive their, pay, their faith forward. But this is an element we don't even have in our society that the Bajorans have that I think drives them in a completely different direction and a much more ardent one. I hadn't considered that before. You know, most faith is, well, the old, uh, the old line is, you know, we walk uh, not by sight, but by faith. And the Bajorans kind of get the best of both worlds, no pun intended, uh, to, uh, to, to, to have that particular experience. And I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. I hadn't thought about that. It does inform their faith and who they are as people. Right. right. It's, uh, if I may jump in. Yeah. It, yeah. It's basically the Bajorans, they've had this faith. And as you say, Ken, that's a great point. They had these tangible you know, items from the prophets. But then they pretty much discover heaven and where their gods live. Why, if, if anything, that is just more, you know, proof that you're believing the right thing if you're the Bajorans. Like, why would you think, oh, well, I guess it's all fake now <laughs> because they just found God in heaven, you know, just because you know, just because they are aliens and, and whatever, right? Doesn't negate all the things that they have done for the Bajorans over time. Again, I, it, it's just a reassurance and a, a confirmation of everything they believe for centuries once they find the celestial temple. Anybody else want to chime in on that? No, I can I can see that. I mean, that's people who are very religious, that is the that's the goal, right? They want to be able to eventually see their god, right? And and so finding that and saying here it is, it's actually here and it's not very far. I can imagine that yeah, that would even further their belief system. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna get all Miss America on you all and and put you all on the spot. Uh, as Ken mentioned, there are nine orbs um, that that you know the Bajorans huh. have have had influenced their belief and their spirituality. Uh, which of the nine orbs would you want most to encounter? There is a question to ponder. And uh, Dan, I'm gonna start with you, buddy. Um, I personally believe that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I gotta go with the orb of time. I mean, the times that we saw that orb being used were really great stories told, and the way that it was done through that orb made them just just some of my favorites. So that would be the one that I would go with. That's awesome. Zach, how about you? You know, I'd probably go with the orb of time as well, because it's the one I understand the most. Uh, I, I'm not sure what some of the other ones would necessarily do, you know, like, uh, do I, because the orbit time, you can, you can travel through time, right? The other ones, you yeah. get a vision for a few minutes and then it closes and you're like, oh, okay, well that was cool. But with the orbit time, you can travel through time. So it seems the most practical of the orbs, at least from my point of view. That's fair enough. Haley, what about you? Uh, well, so you're definitely playing to my, uh, I want to know things. And I'm going to have to go with the same as, as Dan and Zach. I'm going to have to say the orb of time. Um, I think for me, there are some things in my past that if I could go back and, and witness, um, it might not change anything, but that would be okay because I would at least know more than I know now. 
So for listeners, uh, people who don't know, I will explain just a little bit. I'm adopted, and if I could uh, at least see what my parents look like, I would take any chance I could. I totally understand that, and I think that that's a... that that makes perfect sense. I, I think that would be amazing. Kenna, are you on board with the Orb of Time, or is yours a different selection? No, no, I, I'm aligned with that. And, and the reason, too, I think, is when you when you talk about the prophets and you talk about the emissary talking, speaking with the prophets, they had no conception of time, yeah. right? And, and I thought that was a very... Um, uh, there was a lot of learnings in the, in, in the very first episode, right? I mean, they really hit it out of the park, and you're wondering where they were going to go with this thing. And, and to me, just when, when uh, Cisco is describing, you know, what time is, it's linear, it's this, and, and they don't get it, uh, it tells you that they are existing on some kind of, for lack of a better term, spiritual plane uh, that, is, that is so evolved. Uh, and, you know, in, in many times, too, I mean, I don't know if these, um, if these beings can create life or not, but boy, they are powerful. And if they could... Would they not be gods? And and so there's there's so much to this that that really drives into it. So that's why I I like the the way the the orb of time kind of connects with the fact that we call it the orb of time. I would wonder what the prophets consider. Wow, mm. that's that's pretty deep. This is why Dan and I make your face jokes because I don't think we ever could have come up with that, Dan. <laughs> The orb of your face. Uh, that would, <laughs> I would not want to visit that orb, especially if it looked like you. Um, for me, I, I think that I, I'm kind of in a dead heat, and I think it depends on the day. Yes, the orb of time, obviously, but there's a part of me that would like to get a visit to the orb of prophecy and change on some level. And I think, well, what one of us wouldn't like a little glimpse into our future and to know what lies ahead? I mean, uh, I mean, when it comes to movie trailers and spoilers, I like knowing them ahead of time. I, I'm kind of weird like that, so I kind of think that there might might be some some part of me that wants to see what comes next. Can't um, you just use the orb of time for that? <laughs> well, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. I could I could watch all the spoilers I want to. Um, I could find out all about the Picard series and the Section 31 series that are coming. But uh, I mean, what one of us wouldn't like to know what we're doing or what our life is like at some day in the future? I think that that's it's really kind of thought provoking. Um, there are dangers that are inherent to that too, you know, which is kind of why I go back and forth between the two orbs. Haley, did you have anything to add to that? I saw your, your finger in the air. No, I, I just was like, ah, you could use the orb of time for that. (laughs) I could, I could. (laughs) Yeah. Because I mean, we, we could advance in time, right? Because the prophets Mm. are nonlinear. Um, but we always seem to go backward. What's up with that? Um, and uh, so going back to, uh, to, to, to Bajor, if you will, for a minute. Um, I'm always fascinated by the role of the Kai in in Bajoran religion and also Bajoran politics. I mean, like it or not, this is the spiritual religion of the Bajoran, uh, uh, sorry, spiritual leader of the Bajoran religion. But in a way, she's also like the Pope, but in a way, she's also kind of like a, a, a member of the government and she kind of straddles that fine line. And I think the role of the Kai is particularly different uh, to the individual that held the title. If you look at Opaka versus Wynn, um, they're both very different people. They had very different approaches to their, um, well, I guess I wouldn't call it a papacy, but to their their tenure as the Kai. Um, uh, but I guess my question is this, and I'll throw it out there for whoever wants to jump in first. Did Wynn's politics and, and Wynn's ambition do a disservice to her faith? And I see Dan has his hand up like Arnold Horshack. So, Dan, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you said that, man, uh, here's the way I look at it. 
What faith? With Kai Wynn. Kai Wynn's nothing more than a political hack, in my opinion. All she wants is the power. She didn't really have any um, beliefs uh, in her faith, I think. All it was was a ruse so that she could have the most power. I look at the Kai, like you said, kind of like the Pope, but also I look at the Kai as England's prime minister, maybe. Okay. Not the president of the United States, but but maybe the prime minister. I don't know why I just always put that two together. Um, you look at um, Kai Opaka, and she was true to the role of Kai when it comes to the, being the spiritual leader of the Bajoran religion. She did it. She believed in it. When it was just a stepping stone to get more and more power on Bajor, in my opinion. We saw it all through the series. And the only time she really reverted back to her faith was when she was about to die and she and she wanted to help uh, defeat Dukat and the Pa race. That's for me. I don't know if anybody else agrees with that, if I'm being a little too strong in how non-faithful she was, but that's how I've always struck her, brilliantly portrayed by Louise Fletcher. Haley, you just shook your head. Um, go ahead. Well, I agreed with Dan up until the end. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think that uh, even at the end she really had much faith. I, I think she portrayed it that way, but I I see it as, yes, I think she kind of realized what was going on and that she had made some wrong choices, but I don't think that really she came back to the basis of her faith. Um, I think at that point she was so far corrupt. I mean, she was corrupt from the very first time we saw her. Uh, anytime she said, my child, I just like scream. <laughs> I just like, <laughs> um, and so I don't think she ever, she never had it to begin with. Once she was old enough and kind of started to get bo- involved in the politics, I think Maybe even as a child, she might have, you know, I think she gave off that aura of, yes, I have a religion and I have faith and everything like that. But I think at some point in her in her youth, she turned and and we see the result of that because we just see her as she's older. But I, I wouldn't say that at the end she found her faith again and came back to it necessarily um, full heartedly. Let me rephrase my, my saying, Haley, because you're absolutely right. She didn't come back to her faith, but how many times have we seen in present day where somebody does something, somebody commits a crime, they get caught, and then all of a sudden they're sorry? Yeah, but That's only because they're caught. They're not exactly. truly sorry. They're not truly oh, sorry for what they did. It's just because, oh, I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. Yep, exactly. And that's what I mean with when She didn't find her faith in those last mm-hmm. moments. She realized she had made a mistake. She's trying to make up for it by saying sorry by trying to help out the emissary. Mm-hmm. That's kind of along the lines it's of where I'm going. She didn't find her faith. Sorry with uh, yeah, exactly. air quotes. <laughs> I'm not really sorry. <laughs> I can't agree. She is not the thief on the cross. I agree with you. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, nice. You may as well take the ball, Zach. I mean, uh, are you uh, are you in line with Haley and uh, and Dan on this one? Yeah, I, you know, it's an unfortunate reality that anyone with positions of power, you know, uh, across history, right, be it political, be it religious, you know, they they're in it just for the power, not for what the what what the office holds and what you should be doing with it, right? And you know, uh, and that's what makes Kai Wen one of the best villains in Star Trek. I rank her second after Goldacott. Uh, and I mean, you you just love to hate her, right? Because she's yep. so she's so nice, like a fake yep. niceness, and I hate that in people. Like me personally, it's like I hate. The, oh, hello, you know. It's just like no, it's, it's you hate it, right? It's just like, like Bill, <laughs> really. <laughs> so 
I, I agree with you, though. I, I, I think, you know, maybe at some point in her life, she, she truly believed in the cause, as it were, but she got really caught up in in the power it could bring and in the first episode we see her in, in the hands of the prophets right she is there with the with an agenda she is there very antagonistic towards you know the, the humans the federation that are here you know preaching against you know the the dogma of the of the bajoran religion and 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 she sees that as her end to to get some radical followers and 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 even you know we even see even in her very first episode you know the, the machination she puts in place to have her opponent assassinated so there's no there's no gray area when she shows up. You know that she she has bad intentions, you know. And of course, there are layers to everyone, you know. So we see even, you know, uh, across the series, every now and then we think, oh, maybe she's not so bad after all. But then she does something else. You're like, no, no, she is that bad after all. So uh, I, I agree. Unfortunately, uh, she she is no Kaiopaka. So someone who's not that bad after all is Ken. Ken, what about you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I agree with you guys. I think that. <laughs> What what is funny though is sometimes is is um, it was pointed out that she was brilliantly played. She was, but at the same time, when you, the viewer, um, have no ambiguity that this person is terrible, it sometimes takes some of the, the you know you have a tough time believing that these folks can believe that she's good, right? Because it's so obvious, and I understand it's a it's a worn torn. A culture that's trying to come back on its feet. It's easy to be manipulated at some, you know, when, when people are down and, and somebody can bring you up. And then, you know, human nature or Bajoran nature is you can kind of overlook certain, I guess, qualities in an individual and still say, okay, maybe, maybe their heart's still good because you want to believe it. But uh, that was one of the elements that I really struggled with. Uh, I, I love the show and I loved everything about it. And I think, like I said, Louise Fletcher, she played it beautifully. But it just became a point. It's like, you know what? Too many people should be able to see this. It's gone on too long. And I think her character overstayed a bit, to be honest with you. No, I can totally appreciate that. I mean, you know, I, I can't help but think of, a as, as you were talking, Ken, I couldn't help but think of a, a quote from the movie The American President, you know, about leadership. You know, people want leadership. And in the absence of genuine leadership, they'll listen to anyone who steps up to the microphone. And I think that's very much the case with Wynn. Um the Bajorans are thirsty for it and they'll crawl through the desert toward a mirage to continue that quote forward. And when they discover there's no water, they're going to drink the sand. And that's pretty much what Wynn was offering. She mm -hmm. wasn't waffering. Uh, she wasn't waffering to pull a Dan Davidson. She wasn't Thank offering you. them water. She was offering them whatever it was she thought they needed to get what she wanted. If that's not too complex, but, um, but uh, it was interesting that, uh, that that's what came to mind as you, as you kind of brought that up kind of related but not really so dan you and i are amassing quite the fleet Ugh. of starships at our desks at work and probably at our desks at home too i know i have several there i'm sure you do but uh there's no exaggerating how much we love the official star trek starships collections from eagle moss which is of course officially authorized by cbs studios to say this is the ultimate collection of vessels from across the Star Trek universe almost doesn't do it justice, especially when you take into account that they're doing ships from the original series, Next Gen, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, all the way through you know, to the movies, through Star Trek Beyond. Um, it's just, it's mind-blowing how many ships are in this collection. You know, each of these models is made of die-cast metal and high-quality ABS materials. And then, of course, they're hand-painted with reference to the actual CG models used in production. And where they exist, photos of the original studio models, you know, like 
back when all they had were photos. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is amazing. I just got a batch. Uh, I think I talked about it last week um, that are all in my office in my cube. My cube is now pretty much full. I just moved into a new home about six months ago. And chances are I'm going to have to build a new house pretty soon just to store all of these ships that I'm getting. <laughs> They're absolutely beautiful. Uh, each ship comes with its own display base, plus a, cust- a collector's magazine featuring behind the scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of technology on board that specific ship. Pretty cool stuff. You can subscribe to the collection today and receive your first ship, the USS Enterprise NCC-1701-D, for only $4.95 with free shipping. Additional models, and there are already over 150 of them, will ship twice monthly and are delivered directly to your door again free shipping. As a subscriber, you're going to be entitled to free gifts worth over $90 as well. And you can cancel your subscription anytime, subscription, subscription anytime, but you're not going to want to, Bill. I'm going to be using that money that I saved from Eagle Moss to get speech lessons, which is always a very good thing. So <laughs> full details can be found at st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. And Bill, I've talked about it before. There are over 150 Starship models in this collection. 2019 is going to be bringing us some awesome ships. Some are already available, like the Space Dock from Star Trek Three. Nice, big, big model. It looks gorgeous. It's available right now. Voyager from Star Trek The Motion Picture is going to be coming out soon. The Scimitar from Nemesis. Gomtu from TNG's Tin Man. And my favorite, which I cannot wait for, the Planet Killer from the TOS Classic, the Doomsday Machine. That is the one that I will be clicking on that purchase button as fast as I can. You know, we've been doing this show for four years now. And if you actually use the savings that you <laughs> amass on your Eagle Moss purchases to get speech lessons, we will turn that into its own podcast. <laughs> and we're going to call it Dan Sells Seashells by the Seashore. I'm not even going to try that. Continue <laughs> with the spot, man. <laughs> now, of course, fans who'd like to purchase their favorite chips individually can do so for just a few dollars more, either online at shop.eaglemoss.com or, of course, at your local comic book shop. And sincere thanks to Eagle Moss and the official Star Trips. See, I just yes! called Dan Davidson. <laughs> oh, man. And sincere thanks to Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection for sponsoring this week's show. So we can't really escape a discussion on religion in Deep Space Nine without considering the emissary and his role. And of course, I refer to Benjamin Lafayette Cisco. Um, part human part god in the end i suppose on some level um as he ascends to the (laughs) celestial temple at the end theoretically um this is kind of a role that really conflicts with his duties as a starfleet officer and his perception of his duties to that extent um but really i mean this was the only course he could ever be on i think we pretty much all agree to that to some extent, anyone want to jump in? Yeah, I think as much as I love season seventy Space Nine, they do do some you know radical things with some of the characters. I, I'm not the biggest fan of making him be part prophet all along. That is kind of a retcon. I liked it where he was just a a guy in the right place at the right time. 
you know, uh, and then have his mom be a prophet because then he meets the prophets, but they don't understand how time works. So I guess it all works out at the end. But it, it, the, seeing all that aside, <laughs> uh, seeing his evolution from like, ah, I don't want to be here. I don't want these people calling me emissary. I don't want you grabbing my ear. I want you talking about my pa, you know, to, to he's performing religious ceremonies and he's excited about being the emissary and really takes that. And and, and not just being in the place of Deep Space Nine, but being you know, the, the spiritual figurehead of the Bajoran people. That, that's such a cool evolution. And then he, you know, have, he having his unique relationship with the prophets, like using that, you know, to, to help win the war, but then actually having to pay a price for that, you know, having having a consequence to his calling on the prophets to to interject themselves into this, you know, uh, uh, corporeal situation they're not interested in. So just, just just his whole character arc through all this is just very interesting. It's very layered as any actual persons would be in this situation. Ken, your paw is strong on this one. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I um I, I I agree with Zach. I think mostly the, the his his evolution to me um was part of the journey. And you know, it's funny because in Star Trek in general, um being a Starfleet officer in and itself can sometimes be a religion, right? Yeah. They're expected to behave and operate at a certain level, you know. Um I, I wasn't the biggest Wesley fan, but you know. He's a Starfleet officer. They don't lie. You know, there was like all these different <laughs> things that, you know, that, that, that made Starfleet officers almost seem infallible when we all know just by watching the shows, they weren't. But I, I, I think if, if you look at it from that premise um, where your, you know, human society, whatnot, you know, our, our goal in the 24th century is to better ourselves. I think it was the natural part of his journey. I, it, it didn't bother me as, as much as I guess it did Zach. Um, but, you know, there was a part of me that I think for very uh, different reasons where I love this show. Um, I thought it ended well. And to me, it's like, well, with the direction this takes it, the journey can't continue. You know, he, he goes away. And, yeah. um, and, and for me, it was that loss of, oh, wait a minute, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll never see Cisco again. And we never did. And I think that that in itself was, was kind of sad, you know, and I, I, take it out of the whole religious thing and just, just put it into a very selfish thing. It's like, I, I really wish they didn't go with that, but I understand why they needed to. And you know, like I said, it's, it's just the next level up. And if we are truly on a journey to get better or to explore new, you know, <laughs> new galaxies, new worlds, or even new existing planes, well, then he did what he had to do. Haley, what about you? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was almost kind of like, like Cisco in the beginning and the whole emissary and thing. And I was like, really? And I was kind of resistant to it. Um, and, and kind of on that journey with him a little bit, uh, up until the end, I, I didn't like how they left it. I mean, I get that. Okay. He's discovered that he essentially is whatever percentage human and whatever <laughs> percentage, you know, well, 50, 50, right? I mean, his mom, his mom and his dad, <laughs> that's how it works. Am you I would right? think, right? but genetics are really interesting. That's a whole nother topic. We can talk <laughs> genetics. Uh, anyway, uh, I will not deluge into that because uh, I'll school you on the science. Um, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> yeah, there it is. I, I stand down. <laughs> but, but it's interesting that, you know, he ends up basically joining them and, 
and okay with it and being okay with it. And his journey is really quite interesting. And I, on some level, was somewhat okay with it. I mean, it's sad that he leaves the station and is gone and we don't know when he's coming back, but he's still there. And he's not gone forever. So his journey was, I kind of was on board with him with that whole thing. Dan, how about you? He may, he may be gone for a year. He may be back yesterday. We know, we just don't know. <laughs> I did. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the uh, science versus religion card for a second okay. because Bill, you said that uh, um, he was part human and and part god, and I'm gonna counter that with he was part human and part wormhole alien. I mean, it's, it's, we can have that discussion for hours and hours, but you can't think of the prophets. Uh, and not think that they are possibly godlike. Uh, they obviously are. They made an entire Dominion fleet disappear at one point because Ben needed help. So in that aspect, they can be linear because they're able to understand what they need to do in that moment. But for Ben, Haley, you just said it a second ago. You said you were resistant to Cisco being the emissary at the beginning of the series. And I'll I'll say Ben was resistant mm-hmm. to being the emissary at the beginning of the series. And what I like so much about this arc is by the end of the series or close to the end of the series, he has come full circle. He totally believes in it. And he actually thinks that that is more important than his duties as Starfleet, as a Starfleet officer at times. And I think it's interesting that over the course of those seven seasons, we actually got to see that change with our own eyes. It wasn't just a, an episode of the week. He doesn't believe it. And then the next week he does. We got to see that evolution and that inner conflict that he had until uh, the very end. And again, as I talked about on Standard Orbit, uh, if you want to read uh, about Ben coming back, there is a novel when he comes back from the Celestial Temple. You're just saying. Uh, just saying. <laughs> you, you know, Dan, I think that's a great point uh, of the, the the continuity of his character evolution. Now, like for example, like I love the X Files. I'm going to a slight analogy I'm going to use here. Like, you know, Mulder is the believer, Scully is the skeptic. They go through this whole show, and like and like Scully sees all this stuff, and like it seems like, oh, okay. Maybe you're not so crazy, Mulder, right? But then they, they write an episode a few episodes later, like, oh, Scully's a skeptic, so we're going to reset her back to square one. You're like, mm-hmm. well, I think she, I think like two seasons ago, she saw ghosts, so this shouldn't be, <laughs> this shouldn't be a surprise, right? But, yeah. but the, it's kind of incongruous. But, but with, you know, Star Trek, even being, because Deep Space Nine straddles this great ground between episodic and story arc storytelling, uh, but they, they never forget like the, the progress that Cisco has right. made uh, in his acceptance of his place with the Bajorans. Here's a random question for you all, and one that just sort of came to me as you all were were giving your your thoughts. Um, did Benjamin Cisco uh, have the most impactful fate? I mean, do do we think that he wound up where he should have, or do we think it would have been better dramatically if he had just died outright? And whoever wants to jump in first can answer. I I like what they did. I like what they did with him. I I did not want to see Captain Cisco die. Um, that would have been a a devastating. Um, ending to his um, character in the show. Oh, it, probably just as much as devastation as if um, Ira's idea that the entire series was in Benny's mind would have been devastating. Um, so I'm glad with the idea that they just had him kind of move ahead. I have a quick follow-up on that. Do you think it was a little too messianic in a sense? In what way? Well, Cisco uh, essentially dies... In, in his corporeal form and ascends to heaven. Um, I could see that some people would take it that way. I didn't, I don't really take it that way. Um, I look at what happened at the end of Sons of Anarchy to be more like that than, than what Cisco went okay. through at the end of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Anyone else? Hmm. I don't know. I, 
I, I kind of agree with Dan. I think it would have if he had flat out died. That would have that would have been really sad. And but I don't think that's where he was headed. I don't. I don't think that they necessarily would have allowed that to happen because if he is part whatever, however much percentage part corporeal being, you know, can he die? Good point. Yeah, I, I I think killing him off would have been a terrible decision. I, uh, you know, Star Trek, we want to have that the adventure continues at the end of all of our stories. And that would really close the book uh, on, on not, not the book of the Paw Rates, but the literal book of uh, Benjamin <laughs> Sisko. Uh, so so I, I'm glad that, that he did continue on in whatever form he continued on. Because you're like, okay, so is his corporeal body dead? And now he only exists as his his paw, right, up there in the celestial temple? I, I don't know. So, uh, but it, it, it gives you the hope that, you know, as Dan so uh, eloquently quoted, he could come back next year. He could come back yesterday, and I like that that exists. And I, I and I like that the the story is not over with Francisco, even though we won't see it. Ken reads from the book of the Paul Wraiths regularly. Ken, what about you? <laughs> I'm I'm glad they went in the direction they did. I don't like the finality of you know killing off a main character and. I think we were probably, what, maybe 10, 15 years before that started becoming very popular in um, a lot of TV series, you know, that, that a major character had to die at a certain point and, and really kind of rock your world. Um, and, you know, Star Trek, they only did it once and they did it horribly uh, with, with Captain Kirk. And yes. I, I just don't, you know, I, I, <laughs> I love Captain Sisko. And so, you know, even though the, that time being linear um, and it has, and it has stalked us and and we'll never see a a DS nine movie or anything along those lines. I think again, very selfishly, the writers handled it. I thought in a brilliant way um, in terms of bookending it from his journey in the very first episode to the end, he evolved, he's moved on, but there was that possibility uh, to Dan's point that he could come back at any time and, and continue uh, and continue it. I, I, you know, I, I haven't read uh, a lot of the novels really since a lot of these series ended. Uh, I was more of a, a novel reader in the '80s, so for me, you know, these these shows is kind of you know they, they leave off where where I'm hoping that they can pick back up again. And I think that's the beauty of the novels if you've got the uh, the willingness and the time to to read them and kind of follow. But for me, no, they they, they did it right, and I think that. Um, uh, the approach was perfect. Uh, just like I said, you, you've got to end the journey. And, and if you think about it, you know, both um, Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, the the way they bookended their series, uh, I don't know of another show, you know, considering they hit it out of the park twice, I don't know of any other series that has done it as well and at least to that level. So, no, I'm, I was happy with where, where they went. That's interesting. I've kind of long believed that uh, I wish they that Cisco had met a different fate at the end. When it aired originally, I was not a big fan of the fact that he essentially ascended to the Celestial Temple and went home to the Prophets. It just, for me, it just, it, it, it didn't work. I thought he should either be captain of the ship or he just shouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it took a long time for me to come around to the way of thinking that that you all are at at this particular phase and that I am I'm am actually at too is that I think it, it it gives well it gives what Star Trek is supposed to give and that's hope you know people say Deep Space Nine doesn't contain a lot of hope and I challenge that to some extent and I think the series ends um, far more hopefully than some people think it started you know there's always the belief that he could come back at any point 
uh, to anybody. And I think that's probably one of the beautiful things about that decision. I wish that, you know, 20 something year old me had understood that at the time, <laughs> but I'm glad that 49 year old me does now. Dan? One of the things that I've always compared Cisco's end, and I don't mean that in a final yeah. way, I compare what happened to him to what happened with Odo, and I've always done that. Odo kind of went, mm. kind of did the same thing. He left. We don't have any idea when he's going to be back. Um, Cisco left so that he could learn what the prophets had to teach him. Odo left to help save his people, but he he never indicated that he would never return. And I think that that's something between two of the major characters of the show. I have always appreciated that similarity. A little bit different level, but it's something that's always stuck in my mind. Well, you know, you can't have good without evil. You can't have profits without paw rates. And you can't have a discussion on Star Trek Deep Space Nine without talking about some episodes that we really love. And perhaps we should uh, jete to that particular segment of the discussion at this point. Um you know, obviously, uh, Emissary stands up there, and I'll, I'll probably throw this one out there first, because it sets the tone for the rest of the series. You know, it tells us who Cisco is. I mean, because to me, Deep Space Nine really is the journey of Benjamin Cisco, and not necessarily um, the crew, uh, as it is with other series. And I think that his journey is an important one. Uh, I, I think that what we learn about the Bajoran faith not only is key to the series, but it's key to our understanding of all of the moving parts. Um it's uh, you know plus you know he has that orb of prophecy and change experience which i kind of is why i glommed onto that right at the beginning um i'll let anyone who wants to jump in go first you can either talk about emissary or you can bring up aspects from other episodes you appreciate but uh we can kind of freeform this part of the discussion well um, i, I th- oh go ahead Haley. no go ahead zach okay uh, no, I, I i i think it's it's very smart and a very high concept sci-fi to make the profits uh out exist outside of time you know, because people talk about, you know, free will and predestination, and all this. And my, my interpretation of that is like, okay, God exists outside of time. So just because he sees the future doesn't mean that, like, you don't have a choice in what that future is because he exists outside of that dimension of time, right? And that's how the prophets work, you know? And and that's just, that's so hard to wrap your head around. And it's hard for Cisco to wrap his head around. And being a huge baseball fan like Michael Piller, I, it, it, it was so awesome that he used baseball to explain time hashtag go astros uh, uh <laughs> you're you're banned <laughs> so anyway uh the, 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 oh don't don't worry about it it's okay <laughs> king gives me enough crap okay so um but that that's a really unique way to like how do you explain time just to, to a to a species or being that has no concept of time right so even beyond all the like are they gods are they aliens all that just that concept alone is, is interesting enough and really carries that episode and then the whole you exist here Right. I mean, like that when we, we all have these moments in our lives that we like reflect on and come back to or trauma or, or whatever that that defines who we are as people moving forward for a certain amount of time. And that and that's so uh, just just simply but eloquently put you exist here and how they help him heal from his wounds as a character. So just, it, it's just a great character study and, and introduction to Benjamin Sisko and the whole uh, status of the show. Well, and I think it sets the tone, right? I mean, we're not going to understand exactly what the religious aspects are for the Bajorans and and what this emissary is without this very first episode. I mean, it sets the tone for the rest of the season and, and the rest of the show of, okay, these are the players, these are, um, you know, this is what the Kai is, this is what the Bajorans believe. And without that, I mean, you're not going to understand the rest of it. Um, one thing that I will mention kind of ties in with this um, 
the episode Shadows and Symbols. Um, Cisco searches for the mysterious orb of the emissary. Um, you know, the whole you you exist here, you know, you, you this is you. Um, and and this is where he learns that he is of the wormhole aliens slash prophets, whatever you want to call them, right? And and that's I think a very powerful one. Um, there's the whole thing between Cisco and Sarah. You arranged my birth. I exist because of you. The Cisco's path is a difficult one, but why me? Why did it have to be me? Because it could be no one else. And I think that's uh, really powerful. You can't have Deep Space Nine without the episode emissary. I mean, it's as simple as that. It, it, it's the it's the foundation for the entire series. And as Bill said, it's it's Cisco's journey. I've always appreciated. Um, even though at first, I will say at first, I did not care for the emissary as an episode. Like with several things with Deep Space Nine, it took time for these things for me to really appreciate it and have it become my favorite series. And, you know, I used to always kind of shake my head whenever they would, whenever we would have a scene with Ben talking to the prophets where it sounded, you know, you heard a heartbeat in the distance <laughs> and it sounded like a TOS phaser was on overload somewhere. And it's like, okay, what is going on with these scenes? And it took me a long time to really appreciate what those scenes were doing. The whole aspect of them never answering a question used to drive me crazy. But as the show progressed, it made me appreciate it and understand what the prophets were all about. But in addition to the prophets, the one episode that I've always loved because it brings us the anti-prophets is the assignment when we were first introduced to the Pa race. And I got to say, you know, people who listen to the show, I love Section 31. I love the Dominion War. I like all these dark things. And I got to tell you, I love the Pa race. Just the name, the Pa race, it sends chills down my spine mm. because it's just that word wraith. And we're introduced to these beings by another person who sends chills down my <laughs> spine, and that's Keiko O'Brien. But um, anyway, oh, man. <laughs> um, it, it's a great episode to show the – um, the divine battle that's going on between good and evil. We talked about it on Standard Orbit. The Gorgon was locked into a cave by something. The Pa Wraiths were locked into the fire caves by something, which we assume to be the prophets. And that whole dynamic and storyline, starting with the assignment, is one of my favorite paths of this show. And it's because we have that enemy that we're just, we don't know a lot about, but we're scared to death of. So I, I just want to interject one thing. Dan, one of your favorite, your favorite show of all time is Lost. And all they did was ever ask questions and not answer them. And you're annoyed that they asked a lot of questions on Deep Space Nine? They, they well, let's, let's do it this way. They, Lost brought up a lot of questions. The prophets were asked questions, and they would answer in riddles. There's a little bit of a difference there. They wouldn't ever answer the question. So it was the Oracle I mean, of Delphi. Uh, <laughs> I'll go with okay. that. I, I can say that. Yeah, that's good. I like it. But don't make fun of my show. I'll make fun, no, I'm making fun of you. That's really what it's going down to. Ken, you can make fun of Dan, too, while you're at it, if you like. Um, well, you know, some some things are just too easy, so uh, I'm just going <laughs> to stay on, stay on course here. But what I, you know, one of the things that in listening to to all of you speak, and when I think of emissary of being the launching pad, I want to say that you know I remember watching it for the first time, and I was just in complete awe. And I think from a production point of view, when you're talking about you know when they're when he's talking to the prophets and you know, you, you just got this white background and it's just his face. 
But the way, incredibly, how they edited in all the different scenes and characters talking to him throughout. I mean, I, I, I sometimes will still watch that episode and, and say to myself, how in the heck were they able to choreograph, edit, and pull all of that together? You know, whether it was his wife or the captain of the Saratoga or uh, Lacutus or, or whomever having the conversation with Cisco. Uh, it, it, to me, it was it, it really brought that 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 whole thing I think together very very well. That we we were talking about a, a huge different plane of existence here, and it was incredibly foundational. But at the same time, it was also mesmerizing to me from from that aspect because I've never seen anything done quite like that. And they did it all the time, and they made it look easy. And there's no way in heck it could have been. No, no, absolutely. I, I know we're coming up on a hard stop here, so I want to um, I want to pose a question to our listeners that uh, that will let you all chime in on before we uh, before we break company, and that's this. Um, and people can uh, people listening to this episode can feel free to respond on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you see the episode posted, because we're really interested in your thoughts on this. Based on the path of his journey, did Benjamin Sisko ever truly have free will? Or was he fated to this existence? Um, Ken, why don't we start with you since we left off with you just last time? Can I come back? I need to see. <laughs> 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 yeah. I'll, uh, I'll jump in, I yeah. think, and, so, and let Ken catch yeah, his breath. Um, I think he had free will, but he was also tied to this existence. And I say that because he made decisions in regards to what was going on with the Dominion War and had to pay consequences for them. So he was able to make decisions on his own, but because of that tie to existence, there were repercussions. Um, so it's, I think it's a little bit of both, Bill. Okay. Zach? Yeah, I think uh, Sacrifice of Angels kind of proves that. Like, you know, they, there was a plan set out for him, and he was able to change that plan. Like, you're of major, but you'll find no rest there. So that that shows that like he can't influence the the the, the my, my, in micro ways, uh, uh, but the macro, he was always going to be the Cisco. And again, from his like I said earlier about the free will thing, from his point of view, he was making decisions. You know, he wasn't guided somehow to do this. He, like you know a b c i have to always choose b or whatever uh he was making choices and then he ended up where he ended up but that is through his own choices he ended up there it wasn't because they were kind of putting him where he needed to be okay That's my take. Haley, what about you i i don't think that he did i think that he still had that ability to choose and, and make choices and yes there were the consequences that came after but the path was always the same he was always still on that same path it's just like the choices were just little bumps in that path. Um, and, and where he was headed was where he was headed all along, I think. Okay. I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you right now, but uh, let's go back to the senior chief and see what he has to say. Well, you know, thinking through it from, from my perspective, when you find that person who's been put on a path, and actually completes the journey. That's what makes it the, you know, that's what makes it so credible. That's what makes the show so powerful because none of us, very few of us actually get there. And so as there was a part of me that was saying, no, he had free will the whole time. But if you look at it um, through all seven years of that, of that show being made and how many times, you know, like they all do in Star Trek, they come so close to death 
um, and, a, and a certain decision that really doesn't make any sense. For example, um, you know, when the war is being prosecuted and, um, you know, they, 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 the, the fleet's practically destroyed and, and they're sitting there in these, um, you know, in the escape shuttles, the escape pods or whatever, and they make the determination, no, don't, don't blow them up. Let them go back and tell everybody how powerful we are and all those things. That made no military sense whatsoever. There was, there was, that, that whole line of thinking is a completely illogical. Now, were they thinking that when they wrote it as to how it was going to end up showing that Cisco somehow has protection or whatever all the way through? I don't know. But I think that demonstrates to me that there was, there was, there was definitely elements of free will, but he was definitely on a course or a path and was going to be guided there one way or the other. I, um, I want to wrap up my comments about religion and Deep Space Nine with this. I love what we've been talking about. It really is the core of, of Deep Space Nine. And as I said at the beginning of the show, it's not something that I really appreciated when the show first came out. One of the things I love about Deep Space Nine is we're focusing right now on the Bajoran religion and, and the emissary and, and the prophets. But one of the things I like about the show is there are so many other aspects of different religions, quote unquote, that we could get into. We could do another get together and a crossover just on, you know, the Dominion and how the Vorta feel that the founders are <laughs> the God. founders are God. Or another one. <laughs> I love that. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. But one that yeah. one that just like I can I can just like make myself sick thinking about because of all the different rules and things is the Ferengi religion and the divine treasury and all of that stuff that goes with it. We saw in um in body parts with first uh the first Nagus Gint and all that. I think that's one of the things that is really great about Deep Space Nine is they brought in so many other various aspects of different religions that we can kind of relate to in today's world, which makes it the best show, just the best Star Trek series in my mind. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. And of course, you know, uh, please let us know your feedback on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, we're Trek Geeks at both places. Or if you happen to be on our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, you can chime in on the discussion there. Uh, everybody, what a great time we've had. Thank you so much for, uh, one, for suggesting this crossover, and two, for helping us make it happen. Let's uh, shoot around the horn and uh, find out where we can find you all and to stalk you on social media. Haley, uh, as the... Uh, as as probably one of our longest uh, fans uh, of Trek Geeks, why don't you go first? Because we know we're not your number two show. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Trekkie01D. Uh, I'm also in Camp Kittimer, and I'm also co-host over on Standard Orbit, so you can listen to me there and find me in the Babel Conference, too. Standard Orbit? Never heard of her. I Ken, know. how about you, sir? <laughs> Well, first, thanks for, for like, again, having us on, on board and congratulations. I mean, you're no longer just a show, you're a network all your own. And that takes a lot of work and really happy. You know, you, you like to see good things happen to good people. And, uh, you know, I'm really, really happy for, for the two of you and, and where you are in your journey. So uh, thanks for letting us have a, a small uh, part in that uh, by being able to be on your show. To me, that, that, means, uh, that means the world. Uh, but That's you can right. find me uh, on, on Facebook, either in Camp Kedimer or on the Babel Conference and on Twitter at Boston SCPO. That's awesome. And Zach, nobody cares where to find you. So we're going to go. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> hey, buddy, how can the listeners of your second favorite podcast track you down and talk you into uh, making us your number one on social media? 
Well, you know, I, I am on record saying Trekkie is my second favorite Star Trek podcast after <laughs> after my own podcast, Standard Orbit. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why that's a problem that I like mine first. <laughs> but uh, yes, you can you can find me over on Trek FM with these guys who do Standard Orbit every week. Uh, Trek FM on Twitter at Trek FM. Uh, I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Will in the Smallville. We talk about. That Young Superman show, Always Marvel with one S on Twitter, and just launched a new show with a friend of the networks, both networks, Brandon Shamatella, Franchise Fatigue, where we talk about movie series, their sequels, their remakes, and when they get fatigued. You can find us uh, at UFP Earth on Twitter, podcast called Franchise Fatigue. Yeah, and by the way, since we're here on Trek Geeks and uh, and we pretty much can do whatever we want here, congratulations to uh, to you and, and Ken and all of you associated with UFP. We are extremely proud and of yes. your efforts and uh, excited to see where you guys go next. Um, we wish you uh, a fair skies and, and, and following seas, for sure. Dan, nobody gives a crap about you, so you can shut your mouth. Oh, it's the first time it's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, pal. No, uh, I, guys, I can't thank you all enough for being here for this. Um, it was – I will be honest. When the when the topic first came up and we started um, uh, brainstorming, I was a little nervous because it's heavy. There's a <laughs> lot of stuff in here. But I got to say, both on Standard Orbit yesterday and here today on Trek Geeks, what an awesome discussion. It was fun. There was a lot of great stuff to it, and I had an absolute blast. So thank you very, very much. Absolutely. Let's do it again. Yes. I like it. Well, once again, thank you one and all for being here. And of course – Dan, we have to give our thanks to the band Five Year Mission, without whom this podcast would have a lot more of your voice, and nobody wants that. We want everyone to head on over to fiveyearmission.net, download all their albums, um, year one, year two, year three, year four. Year four. I love that album so much. I listen to it constantly. Uh, Spock's Brain, Trouble with Tribbles. There is guaranteed to be something that you love. And, you know, Dan, these are not parody albums. You know, these songs are not meant as jokes. These are new ways to look at classic Star Trek episodes that we've loved for so long. So it's fiveyearmission.net. Go get all that music. Not only do I love all of their music, I love all the guys in the band because they're just awesome. So yeah, check them out. They're, they got some great stuff. That year four album, like you said, Bill, uh, they really outdid themselves with that one. Not to say any of the other albums weren't awesome because they all are, but year four is a special one. Um, I got to say though, recently bill I, I watched an episode that i've never really had a lot of love for um but you know i, I watched it with an open mind and i kind of have a renewed appreciation for it and i'm talking about the episode bread and circuses and i'm sure this is one that you remember totally um, yeah you know sometimes you've got a character in an episode who's just as revolting as kai win was in deep space nine as we just talked about religion in that show well in this episode it was merrick's right hand man scumbag his number one, his drummer extraordinaire. You know who I'm talking about, Bill. I can see the look on your face. You're already nodding your head. You know, it's the man who eventually stabbed his leader dead. Uh, what kind of guy does that? I mean, you know who I'm talking about. I'm just going to leave it right there. I'm talking about, of course, proconsul Claudius Farkas. That guy is reprehensible, and I'm very sad about him. You're comfortable with saying that guy is reprehensible. <laughs> I just want to get that on the table. That guy. <laughs> yeah. See, yeah. It's going to bother me today because you know what? <laughs> <laughs> because you're barely awake. <laughs> it has something to do with it. <laughs> because you haven't had enough coffee. No, I'm drinking coffee right now. <laughs> yeah. What, what flavor? Uh, pumpkin spices with leftover. Oh, okay. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, so yes. Anyway, fiveyearmission.net. Please become huge fans of theirs. We are. And uh, go get all their tunes. 
Seriously, you're going to love it. Take our word for it. Uh, you know, we want to take a moment to thank uh, our producers from our Patreon campaign. Without them, um, you know, uh, we wouldn't have quite the support that we do here on Trek Geeks. And we just want to take a moment to list them out. Um, Dan, you want to tell us where our pr- associate producers are for this episode? Absolutely. Very special thanks to our associate producers who include Shane Murray, Yancey Evans, Vikram Bhatt, John Krikorian, Peter Craig, Adam Sanders, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, and Brandon Everidge. Can't thank you guys enough for uh, being supporters on our Patreon page. And Bill, I think you've got a list of our producers uh, to uh, list off next for us. Absolutely. The producers for this episode of Trek Geeks are Ken Tripp, who you might have heard on this episode, Casey Shafsky, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marshawn, Craig Ewing, Sean O'Halloran, Chris Trebuzio, Eric Extreme, the wonderful and talented Norman Lau, Mike Bovia, and Patrick Escudero. Um, sincere thanks, grateful thanks to all of them for supporting us in our Patreon campaign. You can find out more and how you can access exclusive Trek Geeks content over at patreon.com slash trekgeeks. Dan, next week, we're going to come back to a theme that we tried once and really loved because, well, it's just the nice thing to do. <laughs> I see what you did there, buddy. Right you are. It is going to be round two of the podcast for positively positive programming. Yes, it's Say Something Nice Part de, uh, where we're going to bring up nice things in Trek that we may not like all that much, kind of like the whole Bread and Circuses thing I did. See, I did that for a reason. Um, and, well, we're going to take those episodes and we're going to say something nice about them. And, you know, Bill, speaking of nice – we're going to be joined by one of the nicest human beings in the entire galaxy. She portrayed Dr. Elise McKenna in Star Trek Continues, and she is one of our very best friends in the whole entire world. Join us next week as we welcome back the one, the only, Michelle Specht to Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast of the Trek Geeks Network. Uh, it's a long overdue visit with one of our dearest friends. We haven't seen her since Star Trek Las Vegas this past summer. And uh, it's going to be great to talk to her again. But that's next week on Trek Geeks. Uh, Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek podcasts, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. And, of course, I know you're waiting for this part for all the news on all the Star Trek's, yo. Please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 167 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Your coconut is strong, Brother Billy. You have walked in the path of the prophets. There is no greater glory. Well, there is, and it's called winning the Super Bowl. That's just me. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! (laughs) Bing bong! (laughs) Well, Dan, whatever are you excited about? Nothing. <laughs> I've already got a hashtag for next season. I posted it on Facebook last night, so you heard it here first. Hashtag heaven for seven.
Well, I mean, <laughs> considering this is an episode about religion in Deep Space Nine, <laughs> I'm a little concerned that um, uh, somebody's going to have to die. <laughs> we have to make a sacrifice. Uh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yep. You? I, I'll 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 take the knife. That's okay. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, you couldn't because uh, there's no really good way to work in the Celestial Temple. Um, every time I watch a Patriots game, it's like I'm looking right at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's just when you look into Tom Brady's eyes. Oh, I'll tell you what. What an unbelievable defensive masterpiece that game was. I, I have never seen anything like it on both L.A. and the Patriots side of the defensive uh, lines. There, it was amazing. I absolutely I, was. I was astounded. So two weeks ago when the jerseys went on sale, my wife and I each bought a Tom Brady Super Bowl 53 jersey mm-hmm. in the away white color. Um, because after Super Bowl 51, the NFL shop sold out. Oh, yes. During the game. Yep. So I have a blue jersey with that Super Bowl emblem on it, but it's not the color they wore in the game. So we ordered the jerseys. They came in this week, and we didn't open them until there were four seconds left on the clock last night. And we put them on and celebrated as the clock ticked down to zero. After the missed field goal is was when there was four seconds. Is that correct? Is that when you did uh, it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, nice. that's exactly when we did it. Because at that point, uh, just there's no chance. Yeah. Kneel in down. Hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Victory yep. formation. Yeah, uh, my brother. We were all standing around watching, and and when um, they scored the the field goal barely to go up by ten, uh, my brother's like, "Okay, I'm gonna pick my MVP," and I'm like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that until there's ten seconds or less left." So he waited until there was ten seconds, yeah, and then normally, we all picked Edelman. And normally, we would apologize for all the sports ball talk. Um, not today, but. Not to, the Patriots just won the Super Bowl. I mean, yes, it's number six, but um, these are the things that happen with Patriots fans. Yeah. Uh, so, did you vote in the online voting for MVP? I did not. I was so excited what was going on, I completely forgot to. I did, and I voted actually for Stefan Gilmore. He was fantastic. He is the best. I think he's the best corner in the league right now. He had a couple of key plays after Chung went out, and uh, just he he saved he saved the touchdown. Yeah, he did. Sent the Rams up. Yep. I'll tell you what, McCordy's play when he was nowhere near Brandon Cooks in the end zone and he just flew in and knocked that ball out was maybe one of the plays of the game. It really was. So um, very, (laughs) very exciting. Yes. Um, I'm glad we took today off. I am too. (laughs) (laughs) Because now we can talk about it and piss all our uh, listeners off. Sorry, guys. Sorry, (laughs) guys. (laughs) We swear next week it'll be back to your face. Right. But I'll tell you what, um, it's now been... Oh, 12 hours. We need yeah. another championship. Hashtag in the drought, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, pitchers and catchers do report in eight days. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means the truck day is probably uh, any day now. <laughs> that's a beautiful and thing. If, for non-sports fans, that's when the big moving truck shows up to Fenway Park, picks up all the equipment, and then takes it on down to Florida for spring training and Grapefruit League. Exactly. <sighs> all right. <laughs> you you t- what time do you get to bed? Uh, about two o'clock. Oh Watching NFL Network, ESPN, local stuff. I just revel in this. Uh, one of my favorite moments whenever there's a championship in the NFL 
uh, and the Patriots win the Super Bowl is that music that plays as they're walking the the Lombardi Trophy down the aisle and all the people are kissing it. And then Joe Namath shot up, showed up, and I thought he was going to look at it and go, "I want to kiss you," but he didn't do that. <laughs> the first thing I did was, "I don't care about the team struggling, <laughs> struggling. <laughs> I I want to kiss you." <laughs> I, so, uh, and that game was against the Patriots. It was. Absolutely it was. Yes, it was. He was lit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, moving on from sports ball really quickly. Yes, yes. Thank you for um, putting up with us, people. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, go Pats. Uh, <laughs> what, what a great first part of the conversation we had with Ken and Haley and Zach on godlike beings in TOS. I'm going to be honest, man. And I think I've told you this before. I was a little nervous about the conversation because it could have gone in any kind of strange direction. And I wasn't really sure what to expect. And I loved the conversation. I had a blast with that first part. It, it exceeded my expectations on every single level. Oh, same here. I, um, uh, you know, it's it's a kind. Of, well, you know, there's two things you never really discuss, right? Religion and politics, um, at the family dinner table, anyway. And sometimes on podcasting, given the current state of political affairs, mm-hmm. it can be um, it it can be a third rail. And I kind of went into this discussion really scared, but hats off to to Haley, especially for for putting this topic yeah. together and for for doing all the research and for uh for creating a a a, a guide for two episodes that uh, that was just fantastic Uh, it was a wonderful discussion and i like you i had such a uh, such a good time yeah it was it was fantastic and it's always great to to get together with friends and and talk about stuff that we love so much like we did we haven't had many of these um and it was it was a lot of fun i really had a great time no same here i um so i'm sitting here at home in my living room which is not normally where i record so people may notice a difference between the two microphones uh, between the first part of the show and the conversation, and Abby mm. is sleeping on the love seat. Um, that was her default position for the game last night, and that's how I know that we were going to win. Okay, because when Abby's sitting next to me on the sofa and I have my hand on her back, we always win the championship. Just don't say hi very loud because we all know what happens when you do that from your Facebook Live video. If you didn't, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> it's very true. She thinks that somebody is here. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I'm not normally a superstitious person, but I make sure that's going on. And then my wife, Kelly, always has to be knitting during the game. Really? That's cool. Yeah, last year, she didn't knit. Well, that was dumb. <laughs> All right. Oh, wait a second. Now, I wasn't going to bring this up, but since you called that. Hey, oh, dumb, I was going to bring it up anyway. So, go, but go ahead. <laughs> so, back to sports ball briefly, but more like, more about pregame ritual. People who listen to the outtake special remember last year that you burned a bloody Kleenex in effigy to sort of cast out the, the, the bad luck juju and hope, hope to ensure a Patriots win. Yeah. Now, now Dan and that Super Bowl, which was Philadelphia versus new England. Yeah. Did the Patriots win? Didn't go off too good. No, they didn't. They lost. So, and, and, and I will say that yeah. since that happened, you have blamed me for that loss for burning like human DNA, uh, and That's that, correct. And, uh, yes. So this year we didn't burn anything. So what does that tell you, Dan? That Don't burn human DNA. Okay. Next. Uh, uh, okay. 
<laughs> so next year you don't burn anything. We will not. And actually, as a matter of fact, right before the game started, my brother goes, whoa, are, are we burning anything? I said, nope. I said, Bill's blaming me for the loss, so I'm not burning anything. <laughs> so, and it worked out good. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, on that note, are you ready to do this? I am absolutely ready, man. Let's do it. Let's give this, um, uh, that's a good phrase for this. How about everything we got? Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Where did we put the pre-roll? Exactly. <laughs> I got to find it now. Son of a bitch. Let me go to my, here, I got it right here. Hold on. Stand by one, Houston. Oh, it's not there either. Son of a bitch. It's gone. It's in the sponsor's t- card. There it is. All right. Here we go. Sure. <laughs> Coconut.